Well, hardly ho, neighbour. <laughs> and EOC. It's a bit of a throwback to an episode of something that you would never have seen. I have no idea what you're talking about at all, myself. Really? Yeah. Hardly ho, neighbour. You've never heard that. Oh, is it a cartoon? Simpsons. Yeah, yeah. see, I, didn't, I never watched The Simpsons. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, it was banned in my household. Yeah, okay, you kind of grew up in a... We grew up in a godly household. <laughs> yeah. Well, that explains everything. Um, no, so there's a character in The Simpsons called Ned Flanders. Ah, yeah. And um, he is like the stereotypical Christian who all of Gen X base their idea of Christians on, mm. quite sadly. And he used to always say of the fence to Homer, hardly ho, neighbour. Yeah. Anyway, and in, the, in the absence of having anything better to say, that's how I started this podcast. So I'm really sorry to everybody here. <laughs> Uh, it's just the two of us today. There is no Harold. No, there's no Harold. Um, As per requested, <laughs> I think. Yeah. So today's Bible study comes to us from Ben and Julia over at Strathfield. So shout out to them. Uh, what did the email say? Tell Harold to be nice. Yeah, okay. And so we thought that because, well, not just we, but Harold, he read the email as well. He's sort of like my PA functionally. So he kind of processes the emails and gives me the ones that are important. Um we kind of figured if you've already got a warning in us uh, in the email about letting Harold and keeping him on the leash, then maybe we should just not bring him at all. Harold's a bit of a jerk anyway, yeah, so he was never going to be right. nice, let's we be just, honest. Well, we just assumed he'd be honking so much with a statement like that in the email that you know that we wouldn't be heard, so yeah. best to leave him I've home. never heard a nice non-honk out of him. Yeah, that's right. And if he's going to be honking that much, well then let's just leave him at home. Mm. Yeah. Um, cool. So that's us. <laughs> <laughs> just, just Brody and I, yeah, the 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 B team. <laughs> so, so today's episode might be of a lower caliber because Harold isn't here to whip us into shape with his um, mind bending squeals. Mm. Um, as usual, we've got two things to do today. Uh, we're looking at leading the group, and we'll do a review, and then think about what it looks like to pray in Bible study, uh, and then we're going to move into the second section, which is teaching the text. And we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 12. Um, so, Brody, would you like to pray for us? And then we'll jump straight in. Heavenly Father, as we reflect on your word today, we pray that you'd help us to desire to serve you, to love your word and to love following it, and that we might live lives that are godly and honouring to you. Father, give us good understanding and wisdom, we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, we are looking at prayer in leading the group, but before we get there, let's have a quick review of what we did this week or last week, depending on when you're listening to this. Um, we are in Hebrews 11, a very big passage with probably the most sermon illustrations in a row I've ever seen in any particular sermon. Um, of the studies that I was with, I think we all did a really good job. Um, we really grappled with the nature of faith. We saw it as something that was an assurance, as we saw in verse 1, of things not seen. And we saw how uh, a whole host of our, uh, I suppose, religious forefathers, our heritage, uh, all of them had faith. They took God at his word and the things they couldn't see, they trusted and acted on it. Uh, and they left us as examples um, or witnesses by which we too would continue to run the race with perseverance. Um, now, obviously... Um, we aren't done with that. Uh, today we're picking up the next section of, of the same argument and that same metaphor of running will come into the passage. Uh, but I just want to make some observations of what we did really well for the first part of, of this section, so all of 11 and the first three verses. Um, I think the groups that I saw do this really well were ones that gave lots of time to application. Um, one, by their own admission, said they fluked it, uh, but another did a really good job 
um, under pressing circumstances because we had the North Sydney AGM this week. Um, and so uh, they had to rush their Bible study and they ended up devoting quite a lot of time to application anyway. And, and it taught me something really important um, is that basically we don't want to spend as much time as we have been spending on the earlier questions, the observation interpretation questions. What I'm not saying is you want to skip them or unnecessarily rush them. But I think what I've realized is we don't have to spend as much time as we're spending on them. We can get the general idea and we can pick up the finer points or the misunderstandings as we get uh, further and further application. Because if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how application is really the diagnostic. As we hear people apply the passage, we can see whether or not they've understood the passage. Um, and the groups that I was in that spent at least 10, 15 minutes doing application, I, I think it was the best Bible studies I've been in all semester. Um, virtually everybody in the group shared uh, how uh, certain things were in their life that were weights on them or sin that easily entangled them that stopped them from persevering uh, and we were able to explain um, be heard uh, have people feedback and able to pray as well really about those things it was it was um it really was a really good week because yeah. of that uh, and so i want to um, encourage you um, as bible study leaders to just be very firm on saying i at, at you know say your bible studies at one o'clock at 1.45 or 1.40 or whatever it is, regardless of what I'm doing, I'm stopping and I'm moving the application. Uh, I wouldn't mind you trying that out as a, an experiment this week, because if you know that's happening, then you'll be tempted to rush through the rest of the questions. And so it's not as if you just won't answer them all, you'll just treat them more quickly. And I think you'll realize that, hey, I didn't actually need to spend as much time as I have been in the past doing it. And a while back, we did talk about how you can assign time to each of the questions. And actually say, okay, by five past the hour, this is when I'm going to be starting on this question. And work through your study in that way. Maybe it's a time to review whether yeah. you've been doing that and, and whether you can be more firm on those timings. Yeah, I'm really thankful for that you said that, Brady, actually, because I, I, I want to say do it. I mean, um, behind the scenes, for those of you who are at MYC, that's exactly what I did with the seminars. I had everything down to five-minute allotments, um, and I kept to that. And that's the reason why we got through the material. Might have felt like a fire hose sometimes uh, in the mouth, um, but it was better than kind of only getting through a quarter of the material and then not knowing what to do with it. So yeah, put timings next to things. Let's, mm. let's make sure we do that this week. Um, but uh, in light of that, then let's move to prayer. Uh, one of the things we'll be talking about in, in a little moment is, is prioritizing that and what it'll mean is putting timings on prayer as well. Mm. Um, but let, let's talk prayer. Uh, up until now, the emphasis in, in these training episodes and on campus, particularly for me, ha has really been on the word and, and getting the word understood, uh, getting it right, and then trying to figure out how to explain it. And so up until now, we really haven't spent much time or emphasis on prayer. Now, I'm very thankful to Taylor and Aquia for getting a prayer group up and running over at North Sydney off their own bat. I didn't have to prompt that at all. Um, and thanks too for Pat as the president for just kind of continually chipping away at those guys who had the idea to make it happen. Um, it's just been really good and a good example of the fact that prayer is integral in ministry. Mm. Um, in Acts chapter 6, the apostles get inundated with administrative tasks and they end up saying, no, we can't do this, let's hire some PAs. Um, because the two things that are the most important things that we need to do is to devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. And so prayer is actually quite important and probably hasn't received the importance that we would have liked it to have received until now. But like we said to you guys last week, we couldn't do everything that we want you to know about Bible studies in the week, the first week. 
So this is where prayer fell, um, and we're just going to treat it now. So um, let's talk about prayer. First mm. things first. Yeah, so as we said, prayer is key to actually what we're doing in, in Bible study. And uh, often we can end up just slotting it in at the end or, or maybe starting off the study with it. And that's a good thing to, to pray at those times. But why do, we, why do we include it at all? Why do we do it at all? Well, I think there's a few different reasons. Uh, the first one is that it, it actually acknowledges God as the one who's doing the work. And so as much as we do the prep and we think about the study and, and we think about how we're going to teach it, we can't actually make it fruitful. We can't actually make the study be understood or, or actually mean anything to the people who are, who are thinking about it. We need God to do that. And it's something that God has promised to do, but prayer actually is a sign of our dependence upon Him. It's a sign of our acknowledgement that He's the one in control and doing the growth. We're His servants, we're helping in that, we're involved in that, but it's all His work in the mm. end. And so when you look at the Bible study templates, you'll notice that at the very beginning, at the very end, I've got pray. And that's not just there as a cursory Christian thing, because that's what we do. Um, it's actually a deeply theological theologically driven decision to include it in the template so that you're aware that we begin and end the exercise of understanding God's word with prayer. Mm. And the start of 1 Corinthians will tell us as well that actually understanding the gospel in the first place, we can't do that apart from God. Mm. And so there's a, a really good reason to pray every time you come to read the Bible and that God will help you to understand. Yeah, and this is a useful thing to put in your back pocket for whenever you're leading a ministry at church, maybe you're um, leading a small group or um, you're at a Sunday school class or whatever it is, um, not just to be doing it for the sake of doing it, but understand why it's so common and frequent in Christian ministries. Because mm. we're trying to communicate to everybody um, why it is that, um, yeah, we do it. Yeah, which is kind of the second one, isn't it? That we also want to model what it looks like to be dependent on God. We're, yeah. we're modeling discipleship. So, so why do we pray? Well, first to express a dependence and acknowledgement on God, but the second is to model discipleship. Um, at EOC, uh, our mission statement is to prayerfully proclaim Jesus Christ at ACU, whatever, um, to make and mature disciples of Jesus. Uh, and by praying, we're actually as leaders and, and setting prayer on the agenda, we're showing them that that is part of what it is to be a Christian, What is it, what it looks to be, uh, a disciple. Mm. And so that's the second reason. The third reason um, is that it's a means of loving people in the group. Uh, one of the reasons we pray, particularly we pray together, whether it's in pairs or as a large group or, or whatever it is, is so that we can pray for one another. Um, if we truly believe that only God can affect change in the world, can affect change in our hearts, um, can bring about Christ-likeness, um, then we should be praying for one another and supporting one another. And so prayerlessness for each other is perhaps a sign that we don't actually love each other in the way that we should be. Yeah, yeah. I would, go, I would even go so far as to say it's a sign of God, godlessness. Mm. Um, and obviously there's always, you can, everybody, no matter how wonderful and godly you are, you can always pray more. Um, but if you're not praying at all, there's a problem. Mm. And there's something that you really need to check about your own heart. Um, now, with that in mind, I want to kind of consider two spheres uh, in terms of the practical of praying in groups before we move on. Uh, the first is in the group, and then the second is outside the group, so when the group isn't meeting. Uh, so let's talk about first um, in the group. Um, it's made hard because Bible study is like, what, 50 minutes? 
Um, particularly if you've got some of those people who are like, oh, I need to beat my tutorial, so I've got to leave right on 10 to, 10 to the hour. And so you and they may have arrived 10 minutes later as well. That's exactly so. right. And so the reality is you're always scrambling for time in a university context when you're doing Bible studies. And so it is very easy to just do the one sentence, one person prayer at the beginning and one sentence, one person prayer at the end. Yeah, which like we said, we don't want to give up on. Those are good things to do, but we can also do it better. Yeah, we can. Um, so some things to be thinking about. Um, it is good to have a time at the end of your Bible study set aside for praying. Um, and so like Brady said before, that to make sure that happens, you've got to set time limits. Because no matter what you intend, if you go, oh, we'll set aside 10 minutes for prayer, and if you're running late, that, that gets eaten into. Mm. Like I don't know of anybody who just kind of goes, yep, I haven't achieved what I'm trying to achieve with the Bible study, but I have enough self-discipline uh, and commitment to prayer to go, you know what, I'll stop you mid-sentence, we're going to start praying now. Mm. Um, so having times, um, not just for the prayer time, but for the whole Bible study is going to help you get to the prayer. Mm. Um, some other thoughts as well, um, helpful to have structures to pray, so that you're not kind of organizing the rabble for two or three minutes, and uh, can you get into groups, can you do this, can you do that? Um, it may be as simple as saying, I'm just going to make sure that five minutes before we finish Bible study, we're going to stop, we're going to get somebody to pray for the study, and then in pairs, we're just going to pray for, and you might choose to pray for a non-Christian friend that everyone has, um, and just pray for them each week. Um, that gives you an opportunity to check in and go, how's that friend going? Have you had a chat, chance to chat? There's accountability. That's actually a really good way of stimulating evangelism, perhaps, in your group as well. Mm. Or what you might choose to do is instead of not instead of praying for a non-Christian, you might pray for a missionary. Um, uh, I know a lot of Bible studies who kind of adopt a missionary. And, and the great thing about doing that is that it casts your eyes beyond your immediate circumstances and makes you aware and invested in the growth of the kingdom at large. Mm. Um, so those are some examples of how you might Sometimes do it. that can be good. I mean, maybe this is for next semester when you're next looking after Bible study. But it can be really good in showing this priority to actually think about it at the start of the year or at the start of the semester before you've even started meeting to think about what you want to do. So it doesn't mean you can't be flexible, but if you actually tell your group, well, this is our plan. Each week we're going to pray for this thing. You know, Each week we'll be meeting in this pair and this is your pair for the semester or this is our our roster for the things we'll pray for, um, or even this is the week in the semester when we're not going to do Bible study, but we're going to just spend the time praying. Mm. If that plan is in place, then you're already modeling the fact that actually this is something that's really important. Yeah, yeah. And as a, another aside, like you can actually increase the investment of your group in that first week or first two weeks by saying, if you know of a missionary or some particular cause that you would like us to be praying for as a group, mm. bring it to us. Mm. And all of a sudden you have invested people now because they've contributed to a very substantial part of the culture. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Two aims, one stone. Two birds, one stone. Yeah, many birds, maybe one stone. Oh. Many birds, one prayer. Oh. Yeah, don't worry. That was really bad. Firing off the. Page. I'm just glad Harold's not here to see this. <laughs> um, so that's in the group. Let's think about uh, what praying outside the group might look like. Um, well, two things, and none of them are new. We've mentioned them in previous episodes of the podcast. The first is outside the group, you as the leader have a responsibility to be praying for your members. A huge responsibility. Mm, yeah. And I don't I don't know what that looks like depending on who you are and, and your own prayer schedule, your own prayer um, burdens, how much stuff you're praying for, whatever it is. 
But I want to be encouraging you to at least once weekly be praying for each member of your group individually. Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't want to lay a law on you. I'm not saying that's something the Bible tells you you have to do. And I certainly don't want you to think that you're a bad Christian if you don't. But I'm just trying to think of... Well, even using minimum requirements is the wrong phrase to use. But there's just something about the, the call for the leader to love his, his or her sheep that makes caring for people as individuals really important. And it, like the things we've said, if it's a sign of our dependence upon God to do the work and it's actually the means of loving our group and seeing the things that we want for them coming about, then well, why wouldn't you? Mm. Why wouldn't mm. you pray? Yeah, and it could be as simple as a sentence each. You could do the whole group in two minutes if you really need to cut it down to that much. But even that is better than nothing. Yeah. My recommendation is having a set time when you're going to do it. A set context, perhaps. Mm -hmm. So I think I mentioned before, for me, sometimes that's on the way to church. I'll pray for Bible study and go through it. Yeah. Yeah. So having that as a, a structure in your week so you don't forget it. Hmm. Great. Um, and then, again, another thing that we can be doing, not just praying as leaders, but praying as a group outside of the Bible study time, is you really just need to create a forum or a place where discussion happens, where people can share those things. And so, again, we nothing new here. We mentioned a week or two ago about WhatsApp groups or a Facebook group or some sort of thingy where everybody's in and can see um, and you start the culture just say hey guys um, uh, it's a Tuesday I just realized this is happening can you pray for this uh, and that's just a good way of jump-starting things you can be really sneaky and by sneaky I mean helpful and just ask a few of the other people in your group to throw something up at random times during mm -hmm. the week to kind of start cultivating or, or another way you in your time of praying at the end of the Bible study if things have come up that you've prayed for that are going to happen in the week, why not check in in that forum and ask how they were going and ask if there's any updates that we can pray for. You know, that actually continues and it shows that you're listening, really, to what they're saying yeah. and actually caring about that. And, and it does it in a group context. And so people, other people can see, oh, yeah, how did that go? And yeah. you're actually showing them quite a lot about how that works. Mm. So those are just some things to think about um, prayer-wise. Um, I haven't really finished editing the study, so I'm not sure how much time we'll have, but I actually do want to encourage you to take a good solid 10 minutes out of this week's study to pray. Mm. Um, we can make it work. Um, one of the groups proved to me that the Bible study that another group didn't finish this week can be done in half an hour, <laughs> right, um, without too much loss of fidelity. Uh, and so what that means is you, you, can, you can squeeze 10 minutes of prayer in, um, especially if it's just this once off, just to see how it goes. Yeah, or even, even changing the way you think about it. It's not squeezing the 10 minutes in. It's actually having the 10 minutes in and fitting everything else in. No, it. thank you. And that's a really helpful corrective for my otherwise thoughtless wordery. No, you're, you're fine. You're oh, fine. thanks. He just patted me to say, no, you couldn't see that. It that's wasn't on the head. It was demeaning and it was patronizing. All right. Um, with that in mind, let's shift to teaching the text. Now is the time to pause, read Hebrews chapter 12. And fill out the overview box so you too can get in on the action of trying to understand <laughs> get in on the action. this Bible passage. Yeah, it's like Jamboree. You control the action until we tell you why maybe what you wrote wasn't necessarily the best thing you could have written. After you pause and unpause. Welcome back. Oh, it's good to have you, friends. Isn't it great? Harold is still not here. Yeah. Um, 
You you may think that we just say pause and unpause and keep speaking and leave no gap in the podcast at all, but we why actually... Would you, why would you think no, that? No, well, yeah, well, I, I just kind of figured they thought that that's what we would do. Because well, I, we I'd give continue. them more credit than that. Yeah, no, we actually pause it and go have a milkshake, you know, share life for each other for two hours. I bet that on the head. Spare me. Um, we're in Hebrews chapter 12. Thank you so much to Ben and Julia for writing this week's study. Um, it's a good one, and it's a hard one to summarize. Mm. Now, we really struggled, um, not so much because of the complexity of ideas that were in it, but because there are just a bunch of ideas in it, mm. if I could put it that way. Mm. Um, some of the confusions are, are that the, the metaphor that's, that, that the author of Hebrews brings in at the beginning of chapter 12 about a race that we run with endurance it sort of trickles down a bit, kind of resurfaces around verse 12, not very strongly, uh, but you've kind of got this running idea. But but really, in, in the first half of chapter 12, you've kind of got this big emphasis on suffering and sin and discipline. And then at verse 18, which is halfway through the passage, is a massive switch. Hmm. And you're talking about fiery mountains, and you kind of got like Mordor in your mind and, and those <laughs> sorts of things. And so it was a struggle to try to bring it all together. So here is our... Really? Yeah, well it is. Just, I'm just, you know, like why do you think it says lift your drooping hands? He's talking about hobbits. Yeah. That's just, just saying. They're, um, they're known for their weak knees. <laughs> <laughs> it's because they're overweight and they eat so much. Which incidentally is something that Esau did. Um, <laughs> so I could keep digging. Now here's the what of the passage as we came up with. Um, it's not so different from Ben and Julia, so high five to you guys. Um, ooh, my computer screen's gone a bit funky. Um, it says, The Hebrews are to continue in faith by enduring hardship as God's discipline, else they will never see God. I'll read it again. The Hebrews are to continue in faith by enduring hardship as God's discipline, else they will never see God. Uh, now, Brody, what's the problem with this what? What's well? Which problem are you? I feel like you're setting me up for something, but I no, don't no, no, know no. what it is. We, we, okay, well maybe I just didn't prep you well enough for this. <laughs> How about I answer my own question? Yeah, look, what is the problem with this? We one? had difficulty fitting in verses eighteen to twenty-nine. Oh, 29. we did. That's okay, right. Yeah, we thank totally you. Now, did. Now that I've prompted his mind, you were the one who brought this up. Okay, so maybe <laughs> you can fill us in a bit more of what you were thinking. Oh uh, yeah, look, it's so true. We did have troubles with it. Yeah. Uh, so this what uh, we we saw uh, it's in verse fourteen, isn't it? Uh, that the result comes about. So without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And uh, it's linked to 15, you'll fail to obtain the grace of God. So that's kind of what we're thinking about. We're seeing how in the first half, there's a lot of talk about enduring discipline and an explanation of our suffering. And the sin that you face is not necessarily a sign that God doesn't love you. Actually, it's the reverse. It's a sign that God does love you. But the change in verse 18 is a little bit confusing because it, it has all this imagery from the Old Testament. It's imagery of the first covenant being handed down. And the the writer of Hebrews kind of says, well, hang on, our, our story is different. We've got a different thing. We've it's, got a different mountain, a better mountain. It's a better mountain because you can actually go on this mountain and not die. That's pretty well, that's a very succinct <laughs> summary, actually. Yeah. Um, when the first covenant was handed down, they basically put out, uh, pulled out the um, police tape and wrapped it around the base of the mountain and basically just said, if you go past this, 
you're not contaminating crime scene, you actually get roasted by the glory of God that is descended upon the mountain. Which is ironic because no one wanted to. The mountain was so scary with the Mordorness. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. No yeah. one wanted to yeah. trespass on the mountain. Um, even Moses himself, the one who saw God face to face, trembled with fear. Mm. Uh, but the juxtaposition is that we are approaching a mountain that we can stand upon. In fact, it looks like there's a party on the mountain. So, uh, city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, the assembly of the firstborn, God the judge of all, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, who we have been told, almost ad nauseum, if such a thing could be possible of the Lord Jesus, which it's not, that he is an approachable, dependable mediator. Mm. So we have a mountain that can be approached. And yet we've also still got the same God who is fearsome and should be feared and... We're in awe of as well. Yeah. That hasn't changed. And, and the point you know, in saying all of this is how the heck does that match up with the running race, enduring, suffering picture that we saw in the first half of the book? Yeah. Is this kind of a drive for why we should endure the race? Like, how is it connected? Yeah. And I think the secret um, to, or well, the answer to this question, it's not a secret. <laughs> <laughs> secret knowledge. Let's, let's get on that. Um, is just in verse 18, the word for. For you have not come to what may be touched. But then a bit later on, verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion. And then in verse 25, mountain. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we see the response then. See that you therefore do not refuse him who is speaking. Um, in other words, the, the whole of verse 18 to the end of the chapter really is one big carrot stick exhortation to run the race and endure. I'm just featuring like a long carrot stick. That you did in hummus. <laughs> okay. No. So what I mean by that is that the carrot is in verses 18 to 24. We have a mountain that we can approach. It's awesome. But then when you get to verse 25 to 29, the stick comes out. And even though we can come to this party mountain, um, it says that if they, that is to say the Old Testament believers, did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven? And so even though we have this beautiful picture of an approachable mountain, there is this really scary image that just where once before he shook the earth, he's also said, and this is verse 26, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. Mm. And so it's almost like things are ratcheted up both on the great scale and the scary scale. And they're tied together again in 28 and 29, aren't they? So... Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, you know, party. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. It's the, we're grateful for what we've got, but actually we're still, we're facing and under a God who is, is fearful. Yeah, yeah. And um, in some ways it matches the pattern of the whole of the book of Hebrews up until this point. Mm. Um, we have a better thing, and if you ignore the better thing, that better thing is going to womp you. Um, yes, womp is a real verb. You don't want to get womp. And, and it's a scary verb. But all that to say that in explaining those verses, they really provide the exhortation to what we should be doing in the first half, um, which obviously at the end of that particular section, it, it rephrases it as being grateful and offering to God acceptable worship. What does acceptable worship look like? Well, all of chapter 13 discusses it, but we can also retrospectively say what it looks like in chapter 12 from verse 3 and onwards. Mm. Um, so it's, it's all about enduring, isn't it? Enduring God's discipline. We also had a chat about whether or not this is sin out there or sin in us. Yeah, and, and this is really the complexity, I think, of the passage. Because if you look there at verse 3, 
Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So in other words, look to Jesus, a whole bunch of sinners, unbelievers, they treated him poorly, uh, and so just he endured, so you should as well. But then things get interesting, because it says in verse 4, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Um, and so you're kind of left with this question, what do you mean our, our struggle against sin? Like, is, is this our personal sin? How do we struggle with it until we shed blood? Mm. What do we do with verse 1, where it actually tells us to cast off the sin which clings so closely? Mm. And so we have this question of whether the sin is our own sin or whether it's the sin of those who mistreat us. Mm. Yeah, and it, it gets picked up later on as well, doesn't it? So a lot of the language from 12 to 17 talks about how we're to seek holiness and to strive for peace. It talks about godly living. And so, well, does that mean that the whole section is talking about our own sinfulness and putting that off, enduring and not giving in to the temptation mm -hmm. to sin? Uh, and it's the same when you have that, that weird section that we talked about too. Do not refuse him who is speaking in verse 25. Okay, yeah. so we've got to listen to this, this God who speaks from the mountain. Yeah. Is that our sin or is it? Yeah, and, and I think one, we discussed this for a bit, actually, and, and our conclusion was that it's both. It's a classic answer, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's, it's not, and it should never be a classic answer, but in this case it is, and contextually you can say it's the case. Mm. Because like we saw before, Jesus is enduring sinners, uh, well, um, from sinners, uh, mistreatment, um, and it's obvious that in our struggle against sin, we've not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. It's a direct reference to the fact that Jesus shed his blood, under the unjust death murder by sinners mm. and so it's clearly talking about some sort of persecution or hostility um, but um, as Brody pointed out there's a whole bunch of other things here that would suggest that it's actually not just the things without but the things that are within mm. particularly if we had to throw off the sin that clings so closely which is really how we came up with the why of the passage yeah uh, and what do we get we had the hebrews are beset by sin both within and without <laughs> which is perfect, uh, really simple, and it's essentially what's happening for the Hebrews. Yeah. Um, not only are they enduring some form of persecution, uh, we have reference to that, if you remember, at the end of chapter 10, where it says, remember the former days, where after you're enlightened, you had a hard struggle with sufferings. Obviously, it's gotten a bit easier more recently. But one of the things that we've seen throughout Hebrews is that the author has a lot to say about sin. Mm. Sin is the thing that can harden your heart and deceive you and lead you into unbelief, which then bars you from entrance into God's promised rest. This is chapter 3, chapter 4. Mm. Um, sin is the big problem that Jesus as our high priest and mediator has to get rid of. Which is It's interesting, isn't it? Because we were talking a couple of weeks ago about how sin is just all throughout Hebrews, but it's not always that explicit. It's not always, you know, it's not something we've talked about all the time. No, but it's this insidious evil that kind of sits behind you at all times. Which that, is true that will in the as well, yeah. as well in yeah. Hebrews. And, and here he reminds us that as we wrestle against sin, it's going to be hard, but that hardness shouldn't be uh, a sign to us that we're doing something wrong um, or that we should just give up. Mm. But it's actually a call to endure because of what he says about why what God is doing behind it. Um, he quotes Proverbs um, and he says... Uh, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. There's that weariness language. So we need to endure even as God perhaps puts a, a, some pressure on us using the circumstances in his sovereign power. Um, Four, verse six, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he 
receives. And so the call for us as we endure the race and get to the end is to appreciate that our hard circumstances um, are actually the means by which, one, God shows his love, but two, brings about in us holiness. And that's what we get in verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. And the reason we want holiness and righteousness is because of verse 14, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord, mm. which is another way of saying we get there. Mm. Um, and so the real big picture, if we go back to the what, is they are to continue by enduring hardship as God's discipline, else they will never see God. Mm. So that's the what and the why. What about the main passage and the big question? Well, the main passage. Main, main, main point. point. Mm. There is a main passage. This is the passage for today. Um, we had something roughly similar. We just said we are to run the race of faith with endurance, godliness, and fear. And, and by those three adjectives, endurance, godliness, and fear, um, we're just trying to capture some of the emphases the passage has. So it's not a brilliant main point, I don't think, because mm. I feel like it's trying to have everything and not settle on one thing. Um, but, but there you go. We're, we're called to continue. Mm. Endure, suffer, be godly, fear God. And with that, I think uh, the key is just recognizing the distinctives of the passage that we're in. It, there's a lot of similarities to what's come before in chapter 11. And especially you can look at the first three verses, first two verses of chapter 12 and see how they kind of link to both before and after. So there's a, there is a strong link. But the danger of just having exactly the same main point is that we actually miss what's going on in this passage. If they're exactly the same, well, why is, why is the author putting them there both? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then uh, to finish off the, the episode and, and our analysis of chapter 12, we've got the big question. Um, and we started with what is your attitude to sin and suffering, but we decided to sharpen it a bit more because uh, it just seemed a bit generic. And the, the main question I think for this study really is, do you have the correct attitude to mm. sin and suffering? Yeah, which is sharp, but it's still broad enough that you can think about two sides our own sinfulness, that we actually worried about our sinfulness and concerned about it, that we want to put our sin to death. Do we have the right attitude to our own sinfulness? But also, how do we see the sin of the world as it affects us? Yeah, because the danger that we have is that we can go through life and just not, not put hardship, not put our sin, not put our suffering in the, the, the greater spiritual framework of God bringing his people to his promised rest. Um, but God is at work in these things. And if we aren't viewing them in that way, what hope do we have to endure, to strengthen our hobbit hands and our hobbit knees, so to speak, <laughs> um, and so continue and, and cross the finish line? Mm. Uh, and so with that in mind, I hope that this has prompted you to think about your own attitude as you endure sin and suffering. Um, and I think I'll just pray and we'll finish. That's a great idea. Yeah. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you show us your love uh, and that you are kind enough to tell us that it comes in unusual forms. I want to pray for all of us uh, as leaders at EOC that we will be uh, a blessing to those around us by modelling what it looks like to endure and run with perseverance the race marked out before us. Will you help us to accept your hardship as discipline, as the means by which we receive the harvest of righteousness which in turn leads to seeing you. I pray that as we approach that mountain and it comes closer and closer, we will be filled with joy 
but we'll also be filled with awe and reverence as we realise that the, this the sheer consequence of what it looks like to turn away from such a great and wonderful prospect. And we ask all of these things in your Son's name. Amen. Amen.